0: Bush gangs in Australia. So it should come as no surprise that gangs have existed in Australia since the colonial era, when the first colonists comprising mostly male convicts were dragged off the ships of the first fleet in chains. Since then, gangs in Australia have evolved through time with cultural change and extensive immigration, leading to gangs with a wide range of different ethnic origins, behavior and activities often criminal. The earliest gangs in Australian colonial history were chain gangs, large groups of convicts chained together with ankle irons or chains, weighing as much as five kilograms or more, forced to carry out back-breaking hard labour for the colony. Although these gangs were clearly not through voluntary association. If you see farms with extensive rock walls acting as fences for paddocks, they may just have been constructed more than 150 years ago by the sweat and blood of convicts in such chain gangs. By the 1860s, the convict era was coming to a close and the last British-born convicts were getting dropped off in Australia's colonies and finding themselves mixing with several generations of native-born European Australians. These native-born Aussies were already developing their own sense of identity and referred to themselves as currency lads and lasses, in contrast with the British-born sterling lads and lasses. In the final decades of the 19th century, these rambunctious and restless Aussie youths, mostly men, though occasionally women, started becoming known as larrikins or larrikinesses and began to gather in pushers or push gangs. The word push had entered Australian English via flash language, a vast vocabulary of slang developed by criminals in the streets of London and imported to Australia on the first convict ships. Flash language was used by criminals to talk about specific topics which they wished their victims or the police would remain ignorant of. Push originally meant crowd of people, but which was adapted to later just mean a group of larrikins or troublesome youths. In his book, The Australian Language, Sidney J. Baker describes the attributes of a larrikin. He had a number of recognisable features, however. Generally... He was young, between the ages of 15 and 25. He was a city dweller. He dressed with extravagant precision. He extracted comfort from being a member of a gang. He was alleged to have too much money and too lack of parental control. He looked upon refinement in social conduct as a form of weakness. He spoke a weird jargon which it seemed only his own kind could understand. He was given to spasms of violence. In short... He was exceedingly like modern Australian louts. Naturally, the larrikin showed contempt for authority and fought the police wherever arrests were attempted, and as such, many areas in Melbourne and Sydney were regarded as unsafe for the general populace and downright dangerous if you happen to be wearing a police uniform. Like many gangs today, the push gangs of the late 19th century were based on localised identities, so gangs formed based on which suburb or even street corner they came from. In Melbourne, you might find the Crutchy Push from North Melbourne, the Salt Lake Bruises from Montague, or the Heart Narrow Push from Footscray. And in Sydney, you might come across the likes of The Rocks Push from the Rocks area of Sydney, The Forty Thieves from Surrey Hills, and The Gibb Street Mob. However, the door wasn't open for just anyone to join any push, even if they lived locally. In some pushes, would-be members had to apply in writing and pay ten shillings entrance fee. After six months probation, they were allowed to sign the push or crime book, and thereafter they paid six pence a week to remain members. The leader of the push was its king or captain, and one such push king was a bloke named Larry Foley, we'll get to him in a bit. Over the years, as these localised identities solidified, they became more violent, more identified with industrial locales, and more easily drawn into an adult life of crime in the minds of the police. larricans of the 1880s had their own unique style of dress, often including a broad-rimmed black hat, a short black coat with as many pockets and braids as possible, and bell bottom trousers tight at the top and flared at the base. Each larrikin wore high-heeled boots with pointy toes beneath the trouser flares. The boots were shod with brass tips for maximum sound effect while walking the pavement, and larrikins who worked in local boot factories might even decide to pimp their own footwear out, sewing small mirrors or photos of their girlfriends into them. The larrikins' colour of choice was black, the only other colour in their attire being a bright scarf and occasionally some coloured tassels dangling from the back of their jackets. Larrikanesses also had their own unique fashion styles. One of the popular larrikaness looks included a straw hat with large plumes of ostrich feathers, a plush velvet jacket, and long-laced boots to the knee with short skirts to show off the length of the boots. They also often carried short parasols, a popular accessory which doubled as a club during a melee. In his book, An Outback Marriage, famous Australian poet and writer Banjo Patterson describes a group of tourists who go to visit the Rock's Push and paints the following picture of the appearance of the gang members. Wiry, hard-faced little fellows, for the most part, with scarcely a sizeable man amongst them. They were all clothed in push evening dress, black bell-bottomed pants, no waistcoat, very short black pageant coat, white shirt with no collar, and a gaudy neckerchief round the bare throat. Their boots were marvels, very high in the heel, and picked out with all sorts of colours down the sides. Larricans even had their own style of music too, described by some as an energetic, upbeat polka and by others as similar to an Irish jig. The lyrics of their songs remained a mystery to many outsiders who said they were made up of unintelligible slang. Fears of larrikinism stemmed from the British-born Australians who were uncertain about the morality of colonial youth, native-born currency lads and lasses who brimmed with excessive self-assurance for lower-class unskilled workers. As the colonies boomed during the 1870s and 1880s in Melbourne, for example, members of the lower class who worked as labourers in Collingwood or as leather workers in West Melbourne were able to earn relatively high wages, thus escaping the constant surveillance that went with an apprenticeship or domestic service. This led to a swelling of nonchalance and bravado among so-called larrikins. These well-paid and subsequently well-dressed workers found themselves free to roam the streets and run amok, rather than desperate, brutal thugs trapped in long-term poverty. Despite the increase in the lower classes' prosperity, some pushers developed a frightening propensity for violence. Constables roaming the streets on their own were hesitant to chase members of push gangs into impoverished lanes in their territory. In Collingwood, Melbourne, pushers from various corners of the suburb would gather every Friday and Saturday night and run amuck throwing flour and ochre at the Salvation Army, or chucking rocks at statues in hopes of breaking off the noses. They pestered local shopkeepers, they got into fights with each other, and on occasion, with the cops. Despite these going-ons in Melbourne... If the larrikin had a birthplace, it was certainly Sydney Rocks at Dawes Point in New South Wales. Again, from his book *The Australian Language*, Sydney J. Barker wrote that this was a place where slang and vulgarity were mixed in lavish quantities, where harlots and riffraff, ex-convicts, and the scum of all the oceans collected. Here in the rocks was born the Australian hoodlum, as tough and vicious and as well-versed in unconventional ways of speech as any person in the world. And this leads to the rise of Larry Foley, who boxed his way to the top and became king of the rocks push. From the 1870s to the 1890s, the Rocks Push was a notorious larrikin gang that dominated the Rocks area of Sydney. In their heyday, they were simply known as the Push. One of many different push gangs in Sydney, the Push was made up of mostly bored larrikins and larrikinesses, who worked as unskilled labourers by day and supplemented their income with petty criminal activities by night. They were incredibly violent, not only whilst engaged in warfare with other larrikin gangs from surrounding suburbs, but also towards sailors, police and civilians, pretty much anyone who crossed their paths, and they carried out petty crimes such as theft, assault and battery willy nilly. More often than not, their victims would be poor, unfortunate, drunk men, and upon being seduced by a beautiful female member of the push, was led down a dark alley. The unsuspecting victim would look up to see the woman had vanished, and a group of young, strikingly dressed men with bad intentions had appeared in her place. In order to become the leader of the push, referred to as their captain or king, you had to fight your way to the top through victory in the bare-knuckle boxing ring. Enter Lawrence Larry Foley, a champion pugilist, or pug for short, who used his fists of steel to climb to the top of Sydney's most feared push gang. Larry was born on the 12th of December in 1849 near Bathurst. He was baptised on the 2nd of May in 1852 at Penrith and, as a lad, seemed destined for a career in the clergy. At the age of 14, he moved to Wollongong and became a servant to Father D. O'Connell, the first Australian-born diocesan priest. However... Larry decided entering the priesthood wasn't on the cards for him, and at 18 years of age, he moved to Sydney where he became a building labourer. As with many young lads who suddenly found themselves in a big city, Larry quickly surrounded himself with other young men and eventually fell into the ranks of one of the many larrikin gangs that roamed and fought each other in the inner suburbs of Sydney. Many of the push gangs at the time were distinguished along religious grounds, pitting Catholics against Protestants. Sydney was also where Larry took an interest in bare-knuckle boxing and honed his skills under teaching from retired former bare-knuckle boxer champion John Black Perry, a Canadian Negro who had come to Sydney in the 1840s. He used his newfound skills to great effect, and within a short period of time, Larry was the captain of the Green Push, a group of Irish Catholic larrikins. His first notable boxing victory was on the 18th of March in 1871 against a man named Sandy Ross, the leader of the Orange Push, a Protestant group and enemy of the Greens. According to one account, the fight lasted 71 rounds and over two hours before the cops finally intervened. To declare the winner, the men later met up again at Port Hacking, where Larry knocked Ross out after a gruelling 28-minute fight. With Larry's victory, the Greens assumed leadership of the Rock's push gangs and became THE push. Larry split his time between running the push and fighting. At the time, boxing matches were illegal in Australia, in large part because of the gambling, rather than it being a violent sport in and of itself. However, Larry earned a small fortune through fights alongside the admiration of the public who came in droves to view the illicit sport. Larry managed to win or draw every single one of his bouts, and the pinnacle of his boxing career came in 1879 in a bout against Abe Hicken. Originally slated to be held in Melbourne, the bout was moved to Echuca in order to avoid police attention. A special train brought 700 spectators from Melbourne to Echuca, where they were then ferried across the Murray River into New South Wales to attend the fight. After 16 punishing rounds, Hicken's Corner threw in the towel, actually a sponge at the time, and Foley took home a thousand pounds in winnings, a small fortune that would amass to about a hundred thousand dollars or more in today's money. This event would also leave its mark on Australian English when the expression as happy as Larry was coined, meaning extremely happy. The papers reported that the punters who backed him and subsequently won money too were as happy as he was with the win. Larry retired from the ring the same year and later bought the White House Hotel on George Street in which he set up a boxing gym and staged bouts. In 1883, he momentarily came out of retirement to fight the English born Professor William Miller. This time after 40 rounds, Larry was on the verge of literally being pounded into the canvas. His fans weren't going to have it, though, and they rushed the ring, stopping the fight. Although occasionally threatening to stage a rematch of the bout between himself and Ross, the fight never took place and the ultimate outcome will never be known. In later years, Larry's gang activities took second place as he embraced the career of a publican and boxing trainer. And as the 19th century came to a close, the Rox-Push gangs had all but been broken up as the police cracked down on unruly larrikin behaviour. Ultimately, Larry left the trappings of the Push-Larrikin lifestyle behind him and slid into a much more comfortable and respectable life as a businessman. He became the official demolition contractor for the New South Wales government and was even considered for a job as the Sergeant of Arms in Parliament. Whilst visiting a Turkish bath in 1917, he suffered a heart attack and died a few days later. And he was survived by a son and two daughters from his first marriage and by three sons and two other daughters from his second wife and left behind a wealthy estate of over £11,500. The story of larrikinism, Push Gangs, and Larry Foley gives us a detailed look into the lives of early Australians. The nation's population was swelling at the time, both from the creation of newer generations of currency lads and lasses, as well as through immigration, many of whom were British born sterling migrants. It was a time where young men and women born in the countryside started moving back to large cities in search of unskilled work as laborers and factory workers. As strangers in a new place, these young Laricans and larricanesses became friends and naturally formed groups that evolved into push gangs. Their identity and relationships were likely reinforced by class conflict and discrimination from both new and old Australians, who still considered themselves British at heart, with a disdain for anyone who had even a hint of convict blood in their veins. In these times, violence could be used as much as a tool for control and fear, as well as a means to ascend through the ranks of society, as encapsulated in the story and life of Larry Foley. He started life out as a schoolmaster's son from the country, and he climbed through the societal ranks of larrikin, push king and bare knuckle boxing champion, and ended his days as a wealthy and respected Sydney businessman. So, next time you hear someone say that they're as happy as Larry, Or call a young Aussie bloke a bit of a larrikin, remember Larry Foley and the young Aussie larrikins and larrikinesses from the late 1800s and early 1900s where these terms were born. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode, guys. I would love feedback from you. Obviously, I'm trying something a little different. I'm trying to work on my writing skills and really introduce you to a lot more about Australian culture and history as well so that I can obviously give you much more detail, much more information. And, you know, it's kind of fun doing the reading and the research myself as well. But yeah, please let me know if you enjoy these. Um, I'm trying to include some of the more advanced English in there. Obviously, this isn't always how native speakers would speak to one another because this is, you know, written English, but hopefully it's a good source for you to find a lot of different vocabulary and words and slang, as well as educate yourself on Australian history and culture. Anyway, I'm Pete. This is Aussie English. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I hope you enjoy the episode. I look forward to your feedback and I'll chat to you soon. See ya.